I've been held by the Savior and I felt fire from above and I've been down to the river I ain't the same a prodigal return calling us to be different, to be countercultural, to be non-conformist. Do not be conformed to the world. Don't live your life like the unbeliever next door. Here is the wonderful supernatural process as we begin to follow Jesus Christ. The more we look at Christ and the more we love Christ, the more we become like Him. And so over the months, over the years, as we focus on Christ, as we say no to the world, we become more and more like Jesus. God is conforming us to the image of His Son. You say, well, if God is doing it, 
what, what am I to do? You have a responsibility to be transformed. You have a responsibility not to be conformed to the world, and you are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit who's at work in your life. How am I going to resist the world? How am I going to be transformed, set apart, so that I'm living for Christ? A mind renewed by the Word of God. Well, amen. If you have your Bibles, stand with me and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week we looked at the blessing of election. Today we're going to look at the blessing of sanctification. And you may not know what that word is, but you will here in just a moment. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, but we're going to focus on verse number 2. And the first uh, message I preached in 1 Peter, we just looked at the first part of this verse where it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And Peter kind of gives us his credentials. Okay? And we talked about how God had changed his life, changed his name, gave him a new mission with the word apostle. Uh, and Peter writes this letter to these people, to the pilgrims of, dis of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Where the earthquake is now that just happened, this is where he was writing to, believe it or not. And at, at the time of Peter's writing, uh, Christianity was spreading so much so that Pliny the Younger wrote to the governor of his area and said the Christians have so influenced our young people that they don't even go to the temple anymore. That's a historical fact. That Christianity had spread so much, the temple was a place of promiscuity. It was a place of uh, false religions. It's a place where you went to partake in debauchery. And Pliny the Younger writes a letter that we have to this day that says these Christians are so influenced in our culture that the young people don't even go to the temple anymore because of sanctification. Notice, to the elect, that means you've been chosen, to the foreknowledge of God. Now here's the word, in sanctification of the Spirit, that's positional sanctification, for obedience. That's practical sanctification and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So what is sanctification? Okay, What is God's part in sanctification and what is my part? Because you have a great part to play. I'll tell you this before we pray and you sit down. You know, many of you here know for a fact you're saved. Your, your salvation is secure. But think about this. Do you ever struggle with sin and sin issues? How can you overcome? How can you be more like Christ? Like the, the video, the, the pastor so eloquently said, we have a responsibility in it too. And that's what we're going to look at. And at the invitation time, as a Christian, you're going to have the opportunity to make a decision today to just renew your part in that. Okay? And we should do that quite often. To evaluate ourselves and say, God, what is my part in my sanctification? And Lord, if there are things I need to change, and I should change those today. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for your word. We want to thank you for this word. Father, last week as we looked at election, Father, it's just really a humbling thing to think about and to study and to know it's, it's true. And Father, as we come to sanctification, when I look at your part in sanctification, it gives me so much peace and comfort to know that my salvation is secure, 
that it's settled. And as Peter says in chapter 2, I'm your possession. Not just a holy nation, not a royal priesthood, which those are very important, but Lord, I'm your own possession. That I've been bought with a price. And then, Father, as we look at my part in that, Father, help us to be encouraged, Lord, to be transformed into the image of Christ. And Lord, as we look at our part, you made it so simple for us that a child could understand it and a child could do it. Father, thank you for your word. I want to thank you for 1 Peter, for this epistle. What a blessing it is. Thank you for saving Peter and changing his life. But Lord, if Peter was here today, he would say, the Lord saved me and the Lord changed me, but I fought the flesh every day, and I'm a winner. And Father, help us to do the same, and we'll thank you and praise you for it, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When it comes to sanctification, listen to this dictionary version. The action of making or declaring something holy. Listen, the action of making or declaring something holy. That means when something is sanctified, it is set apart, God declares that thing holy for eternity. The action or process, that's one aspect of it. The action of pro or process of being freed from sin or purified. Now think about this for a moment. As a Christian, God has given you the power and the ability to never sin, even though you're going to. <laughs> he has given you the power and the ability since salvation to never sin. Before the Lord saved me, I did not have it in myself to stop certain things. I just couldn't do it, right? Because I was lost. And I do what lost people do. Since salvation, I have no excuse. None whatsoever. God has given me the ability, the power, the knowledge, the wisdom to not sin. That's why when I sin, and I do, I should just be honest and just ask God to forgive me and to be cleansed. Aren't you thankful you can do that? That's why John said this, don't act like you don't sin because you do. You're a liar if you say you don't sin. But the person who habitually sins over and over and over and they don't care about it, it shows that they're not a Christian anyway. Sanctification. God declares you holy. God, God makes it to the point that you can live free. And it's the action of causing something to be seen morally right or acceptable. One pastor said, Sanctification is the fruit of salvation. It's the transforming process by which God's people shed their past sinfulness and grow to reflect in His holiness. So you have positional sanctification, what God does for everyone who is saved. I was saved on October 30th, 1990. The moment I placed my faith in Jesus, I was forever sanctified. Nothing, I, nothing can change that. Okay? If I sin to the point that this church has to fire me, it does not change my position. My faith is in Jesus. Okay? I'm a human being like you are. Let's just be real about that. It does not change my position with Jesus. God saved me on October 30th, 1990. There's no doubt in my mind. That cannot be changed by my behavior. It can't. There, there are some uh, denominations that will teach you can lose that. You cannot lose that. It's a declaration that's legally binding for eternity. That should give you great peace. Okay. Then there's practical sanctification, which we're going to talk about. And that's what I'm responsible for. Okay, since God has saved me, filled me with the Holy Spirit, every day 
my greatest battle is James Oliver Steele. Okay? It's not the culture, it's not the world, it's myself. And God's going to look me in the eye one day, and I'm going to be responsible before the judgment seat of Christ for that. With all that I know, with the knowledge that God has given me about salvation, about the, uh, sin issues, you know, I can study all day if I want to. That's why he says teachers are going to have a greater responsibility. You have a greater responsibility in judgment, okay? And after today, you're really responsible, all right? That's why you're so dependent on the Holy Spirit of God working in your life. And the steps to becoming more like Jesus are so simple that a five-year-old can understand them, okay? But sometimes they're so difficult that the most godly person you know gets tangled up in it. Notice, positional sanctification. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. If you understand the term th sanctification, everything you read in the Bible almost talks about it. Notice what he says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Paul's praying for him. He said, I pray that you understand this. That when you were saved, you were saved entirely. You're sanctified. You're set apart. You're considered holy in God's eyes, okay? Apart from what you did last night, you're considered holy. And may your spirit, now notice how he puts it, your spirit, your soul, and your body, that covers everything about you, be preserved, complete, comma, now look, without blame. Without blame. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing, sanctification. What a beautiful word. Without blame, you say, preacher, you don't know what I did. I know what he did on the cross. I know what he did when he saved you. He sanctified you. Look, faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. It's going to happen. If you're truly born again, positionally speaking, you're set apart for eternity. Is that not a blessing? That should give you great, great comfort in your life. Paul is just trying to tell us over and over again, sanctification is so important. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica also, he said, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Notice how Peter puts it in the second chapter. Notice this verse. But you're a chosen people, that's the word elect in verse 1, a royal priesthood. That word holy nation refers to a multitude of people of the same nature, set apart. It means it doesn't matter what race you are, where you live on the planet. If you've been saved, we all have that same nature. Okay? And then he says this, you're God's special possession. That means you have been bought with a price. It means before salvation, you were not God's child and you were not God's possession. Okay? You were not. You're, you're a child of the devil, as he says, sons of darkness, whether you knew it or not. But once you've been saved, you've been sanctified. That's what it means, positionally speaking. You're God's possession. You've been bought with a price. Now, one scholar put it this way, the way Christians think. He says, we hear these days about cheap grace and how it doesn't mean much to be a Christian. But salvation is the costliest thing on earth. It cost our Lord everything to provide it and cost us everything to possess it. 
We are a generation, listen to this, of cheap Christians. Going to heaven as inexpensively as possible, religious hobos and spiritual deadbeats living on milk instead of meat, crusts of bread instead of manna, as though we were on a cut-rate excursion. You're sanctified. God has eternally set you apart. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You've been bought. You're God's possession is what that word means. That's why Jesus said this, I know my sheep, and they know me. They hear my voice and they follow me. And then Jesus said this, no one can snatch mine out of my hand. None. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Have you ever had a possession that was yours and everybody knew it was yours? And somebody took it? I told you about my 10-speed. I had another incident when I was at East. I had a Nike shirt that was kind of kind of a glow-in-the-dark, which was, I mean, in the... In the 80s, that was big time. I don't even know how I got it, okay? But it was sleeveless, sun's out, gun's out. I weighed 125 pounds. You didn't mess with me in the ninth grade. But I wore it a lot after football practice, basketball practice. And then one day, it just gone. I said, why is my shirt? It was in the locker. And everybody's like, where's your shirt, bro? I said, I don't know where it is, okay? And then like the next day, guess what happened? One of the baddest dudes at East Junior High at the time walked in with my shirt on. You know what I did? I looked him right in the eye and I said, nice shirt, buddy. <laughs> it's yours. I wasn't going to say that to him. To this day, I've never mentioned it to him. Okay? He took it. Listen, you're God's possession. No one can take you. Think about that for a minute. Now, you can sit here and just go, oh, well. If you do that, it's cheap grace for you. I looked at the, I was trying to find out the securest places on this planet, right? What's the securest place? You hear Fort Knox? The Vatican archives, okay? There are some other places that are extremely secure. The one place that made the top three, just about every Google search, at least top five, was this place right here, notice. That's the Doomsday Vault in Norway. It holds 555 million seeds in case there's an apocalypse event. And those of you that are alive and remain can plant seeds and live. Isn't that something? They say that it is one of the most secure, highly guarded places on the planet. Okay? And I want you to look at that. It looks like something out of James Bond film, don't it? Housing all these seeds. They say they continually bring seeds in there. And it talks about how they're packaged and who can get in and who can't get in. Okay? You'll never get in there. You won't. If you wanted to, you cannot get in. It's impossible. Okay? Your salvation is more secure than that. It's more secure than that. You're God's possession. Paul put it to the church at Corinth this way. Look at this verse on the screen. It sounds really tough. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he says this, Don't be deceived by what the world tells you. You're not. The unrighteous will not. And then he lists some stuff. He says, Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, we inherit the kingdom of God. Now, before you point at that and say, yeah, I see a bunch of those people out here right now. 
Are we not? Are we not? I mean, if, I, if we had to be honest, okay, and, and we did a survey where you had to be honest, and I said, how many of you guys fornicated before marriage? Leave the room. I wonder how many people be left, right? How many, how many revilers, extortioners, people who covet? I mean, Paul's just mentioned everything that was going on in that culture, okay? Adulterers. He lists us all. So when he says this, he says, those people who choose those ways of living over Jesus will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he writes this in the second part of the verse. Notice what he says in the next verse. And such were some of you. You were. That's who you were. He says, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, you were that, but you're not that anymore. You were, you were a child and a follower of Satan, but you're not anymore. And one, one uh, scholar put it this way, such were some of you. And he mentioned his church, and I'll just put our church in there. East Hills Baptist Church is a church full of ex-fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. When it comes down to salvation, God doesn't have a lot to work with, does he? He doesn't. He really doesn't. And you see, that's why salvation is a total transformation because there isn't any material worth keeping. That's why if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And a new life demands a new lifestyle. The great truth of Christianity is that people from all backgrounds and all stratas and all nations and all intelligences and educations and all kinds of sin can come to Jesus and have been transformed. The Corinthian church was just like ETBC, full of the people who were living, breathing evidences of the recreating power of Christ. And I would tell you this, if you're still struggling with some of those things, God can help you. doesn't mean you're lost. This means you're struggling like we all do. That gets us to this point. Note, think about practical salvation, our part in it, or sanctification. What do I do? What is my part, the Bible says, what is my part in becoming more like Jesus? And the first one we'll deal with deals with the, baby, with the Bible. Notice what he says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And what Peter is telling these people scattered who have been elected, election, and sanctified, and redeemed, and, we'll, and we'll, be, we'll be in the future glorified. He says, you need the Bible to grow, is what he's saying. Look, as newborn babies, think about a newborn child. All they want is milk. That's all they want. A newborn baby, nothing satisfies them but milk. Isn't it amazing when it comes to food, how we all have many different desires? Is that not amazing? Like when I look out here, some of you people, you people eat cabbage. How? It's like, it's like wet grass when you pour vinegar on it. How do you do it? Some of you people eat steak well done. How do you do that? How, how do you do that to a cow that sacrificed his life for your taste buds? I don't get it. Okay? But you know what we all like? We all like God's Word. I'll tell you this. If you, if you say that the God of the universe has invaded your life, and you don't even have an inkling for this, I would question whether or not you've met him. 
I don't care how old you are. Teenagers, you're reading stuff that's a lot more complex. God's made this so simple for us. And he says this, that if you're saved, you're going to be like a newborn baby. You're going to desire milk of his word. And without it, you're not going to grow. You know what David said about God's word? He said this. Listen to what David did. The greatest warrior to ever live. The greatest warrior. Israel's greatest fighter. Killed Goliath and a whole bunch of people with a sword. Nobody could fight like David. Okay? He said this. Lord, your word is sweeter than honey. David, David would say, I don't understand a person who's born again who, cannot, who does not love God's word. He goes on to say this, I meditate, I love your law, and I meditate it all day. He says, I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. Can you imagine going on a treasure hunt and discovering gold, silver, precious gems? And what David is saying is this, look, this is what I get when I open this book. I share this to you a lot, with you a lot. I was not a big reader until the Lord saved me. I was a cliff note guy. Only book I read through was Cujo. That's why I don't trust your dog. I don't trust your dog. Okay? Inside your dog's a vicious St. Bernard just ready to kill everybody. I'm just kidding. Okay? But when God saved me, I started reading his word. I started reading books about the Bible. I started reading commentaries. If you'd see my Kindle app, okay, it's filled with things about the Bible. And I didn't even realize it. I wanted to go to church and hear a Sunday school teacher teach. I talked to one of my Sunday school teachers last night at Millsville, Hal Deal, one of, the, one of the great, one of my best Sunday school teachers ever. Right? I told him, I said, thank you for being a good Sunday school teacher. Thank you. I was a young Christian. He just taught the Word. Loved it. Okay? Larry Blakely would preach, and I'd just sit there and take notes. Man, I love this book. I didn't sleep in church. I don't know what's going on in your life. I didn't. I never went to a church service, listen, and said, oh, that's dead. No, maybe you're just immature and got to have some feeling to hit you. right? I didn't. When somebody opened a book, it, to me it was like sweeter than honey. It was like milk to a newborn baby. And, and what I would see is the more I read the Bible, the more God started to change me. And when I tell you I didn't know the difference between the Old and New Testament, I didn't. had no idea until I was taught it. But God gave me a desire for that. He says it's pure. This book is pure. It's the purest thing on the planet is this book. And notice, look at the word word. It means it is, the word word means it's, it's reasonable, it's logical, it's the truth. That's what it means. It, that's what it means. And, and Peter says, like newborn babies... Long for it. He says, that's what God's going to make you long for. It's pure. It's unadulterated. It's the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. So look, you got the Bible that you're going to make a commitment to today to either get into or not. You're either in it or you're not. That's between you and the Lord, right? Okay. Then look at the second thing. How important is church in your life? I read these stats Wednesday night. I want all the men to look at these stats. Look, if a father does not go to church... Even if his wife does, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper when they get older. That's a, those stats are updated. That's amazing. If a father does go regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend church as adults. If you just go, if you just show up, 
We're here for what? An hour? You're like, I hope it's an hour today. Okay? If you just show up, dads, just show up. Doesn't say what you wear. Doesn't say you got to bring a Bible. Doesn't say you got to tie. If you just show up as a man of the house, the odds of your kids actually taking church seriously, that is an amazing stat. Look at the next one. Talk about Sunday school. When both parents attend Bible study, in addition to the Sunday service, these are recent stats, 72% of their children will attend Sunday school when they're grown. That's amazing. Just by showing up. Isn't that something? I feel like we got some of the greatest teachers in the world here. It's unreal. The teaching that you can get in Sunday school. When God saved me, I got as much out of Sunday school as I did to preaching. I thank God for my teachers. Okay, Thank God for I could ask questions. I was a bad student in Sunday school, Steve. I asked everything. Where did did Cain's wife come from? (laughs) You know, all these things. Where Where their wives? And they're like, I don't know. Okay, look, when only the father attends Sunday school, 55% of the children will attend when they're grown. That's an amazing stat. When neither parent attends Sunday school, only 6% of the children attend when they're grown. I'm 6%. Right here, 6%. It's rare, okay? I'm in that rare 6% section of this. So, man, I'll tell you something. You want to be sanctified, You can't do this by watching this on TV or on your computer on a Tuesday and spend all your day at the beach, golf course, uh, and all these other things that whatever you're doing, okay? I know those things are important, or is it more important than your sanctification? Is it more important? I don't know that I ever had a problem getting to church at Millersville Baptist Church. I think their Sunday school started at 945, ever. I had to be at work at 6 in the morning back in those days. I could make it to church by 9.45. Didn't get it. I just don't get people that don't come and how important that it is. Think about that. And then he goes on to say this. What else helps us to be sanctified? What else helps us? Notice this verse on the screen. Paul says this. He's trying to help people. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now how much more in my absence. Now look at this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's your responsibility. When you see those two words put together, people get uneasy. Look at the words work out. That means you labor at something. That means if you're going to work out, you have to have a plan. I've shared this with you uh, in the past. I went to the doctor probably four or five years ago, and he says, you've got a problem. That you're going to have to change some things, or your problem is going to get worse. My blood pressure, I don't even want to tell you what it was. My weight was out the roof. All these things are going on. He says, are you stressed? I said, I don't feel like I am. He says, you look like you are. (laughs) That's what he told me. Brother, you're going to have to do something. You're just going to have to do something. So what I did that day is I tried to make a commitment to make some changes in my life. See, look at this jacket. I wore this on purpose. You know when I bought this? 1996, I was Megan's youth pastor when I bought this thing. That's been a long time. How are you, Megan? 21, 22? Yeah, something like that. But look, now look. Now I've kept this that long. It's the first jacket I bought. I served under Marion Powell, and he dressed up, and I said to Renee, I said, I was part-time youth pastor. Didn't have a dime to my name. I said, I got to get a sports coat. And I bought it. The first day I wore it to church, I left the the tag on it. (laughs) I remember it like it was yesterday. Look, and I said, I'm going to keep this jacket as long as I live. 
And guess what happened over the years? This button and this hole got a divorce. They got a divorce. Okay? They had some problems. It's called Swiss rolls, oatmeal cakes. I would still wear the jacket. I would wear it like this. That's how I wore it. All right? And then after I spent some time with my doctor, guess what happened? 1996 all over again. Because of what? Look at those two words. Workout. That doesn't mean you got to go to a gym. Doesn't mean that at all. When it comes spiritually speaking, okay, there are certain things that we do that are guarantees in it. You read the Bible, God's guaranteeing to grow you. It's a guarantee. You go to church, God is guaranteeing to grow you and your family. It's a guarantee. Listen to this. If you want to lose 20 pounds in three months, I'm going to guarantee you something. Do this. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. If that's your goal in life, if it's not, don't worry about it. Drink water only. Don't drink your calories for three months. Eat only meats and vegetables, nothing bread. That's, that's it. Eat that. Walk 30 minutes per day. And don't eat after 7 p.m. ever. Now, if you add gym, if you add weights, if you add supplements, it's just going to make it quicker. You're guaranteed scientifically to lose 20 pounds. Why will you not do that if you want to? Because the Bible says the flesh is weak. It's not. Oh, it's so weak. Because working out is hard. Hey, this Christian life is not easy. My flesh, just like my flesh, wants big cup Reese's, Swiss rolls, cinnamon rolls. I don't even like Kylie Wally anymore because she opened up the cinnamon roll place. Are those things not so good? I mean, I ate one last week. It tells you how I'm doing. Look, it is so hard. Work out your own salvation. This is how God put it, with fear and trembling. That's how, that's, that is how much emphasis God puts on this. You see, what is your workout program spiritually? Because that's all that's going to matter for eternity. If you don't have one, if you don't have, I guarantee you, if you'll put Jesus first, your life will be dramatically different. Notice what else Paul says, and we're going to hurry here. Notice what he told the church at Corinth, because we have these promises, dear friends. Notice how he loves them. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work together toward complete holiness because we fear God. What he's saying is this. You need accountability in your life. You do. Is there anybody in your life that you could share something with that says, listen, I'm doing this and it's defiling my body, my soul and my spirit? You should be able to share that with somebody in church and they take it to their grave. You can share it with me and I'll pray for you and love you. I don't care what you've done. I've heard, you're not going to tell me anything I hadn't already heard. All right? And I'll try to love you through it. That's how, that's how, look, together, let's work together on this. East tells the Baptist church, I'm going to tell you something. If somebody in this church messes up and it's a public thing, you best not say nothing about it other than I love you and I'm praying for you. Amen? Amen? I tell you what, the world does enough of that, do they not? We're not going to be that church. We're not going to be that church. And you know why I say that? Because we're all just human, are we not? We all struggle. We all have weak moments. We all do things, you look back and say, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because you gave it, you had a weak moment. Your church should be there for you. Your church, I've said this, and I've said this at events, 
If you're a young girl here and you're not married and you, and you, you have a baby, this church will take care of you. We're here. Not going to talk about you. Not going to talk about your mom and dad. Not going to talk about the boy. You come here, we'll be here for you. If you get in trouble with the law, you can call you preacher. I'll come up there and bail you out. I'll do it. I've done it before. Let's work on this together, church. Amen? That's what sanctification is. A bunch of people have been saved by God's grace just struggling through life till Jesus comes back. And then we can all hug each other. Amen? Is that not church? That's church. The last thing Paul says this. He says this. This is something we do. This is something we got to do. Now listen to me. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not, look, do not give in to sinful desires. That's what I do. Okay? Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, he says, give yourselves completely to God. He says, here's why. Because you were dead spiritually, but now you have life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. You know what Paul says in that chapter? He says, sometimes the very things I don't want to do, I do them. And in my heart, I'm saying, amen. He says, sometimes the things I know that I should do, I don't do those things. What's the answer? Give yourself to the Lord. I'm going to ask your musicians to come, and I want you to stand with me, okay, just for a moment. I'm not going to give a long invitation. But if you will, with just for a moment, and you guys can play as soon as you come up here, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you this question. And ask yourself this question. Is there anything in my life right now that I'm doing that can defile my body, my soul, or my spirit? You don't got to share that with anybody else, but I'd encourage you to share it with the Lord. On this day, I would encourage you to submit yourself to the Lord. I would encourage you to confess your sin to the Lord. I would encourage you to ask for His help in this. And then as a church, let's commit to working together to love our brothers and sisters until Jesus comes back. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that today, to be sanctified, to be sanctified for God's glory. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, this is your time and these are your people. And I pray that through the Holy Spirit of God, that you'd raise the spiritually dead. And Lord, for your church, you cleanse us, heal us, help us, and strengthen us. And Father, help us to make a commitment to love each other until you come back. Father, in Jesus' name I pray. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning.
thank you for your attention. Before you leave, I just want to say this. If you ever want to talk to me as your pastor, um, if you're a visitor, I love you. I, w- I want to help you. I'll, I'll pray with you. And I'll, any way I can help you spiritually, I'd love to. If you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would love to talk with you about that. And thank you so much for being here this morning. Our services tonight start at 5. Hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. God bless you and hope you have a great day. Thank you.